Welcome to Europe Listens from the European Council on Foreign Relations, a podcast where we listen to thought leaders outside of Europe on the global challenges we face and how they see Europe's role and responsibilities. Hello and welcome to Europe Listens, brought to you by the European Council on Foreign Relations. I'm Jana Pulierin, head of ECFR's Berlin office. And I am Raphael Loss, ECFR's coordinator for pan-European data projects. Here at ECFR, we provide research and analysis on Europe's role in the world. Our goal is to bridge deep, data-led research with practical policy. We want to develop contagious ideas that inspire policymakers, civil society, and anyone thinking and caring about Europe and its future. We want to encourage Europe to take a more confident and collaborative lead on the many urgent issues facing our world, whether that's the climate crisis, disinformation or the governance of outer space. For us, this leadership role can and should be underpinned by integrity and cooperation. We want to see Europe stand by its interests and values while developing strong and equitable partnerships with other countries. That also means actively engaging with experiences and expectations beyond Europe. And that's what brought us here to Europe Listens, a podcast that foregrounds ideas and perspectives that often receive too little attention in European discussions. We want to hear what thought leaders outside of Europe think about the global challenges we face, how they view Europe's role and responsibilities, and what they think are opportunities and obstacles for cooperation. We kick off the conversation with one of our most urgent global challenges, the climate crisis, recently described by the United Nations as the greatest threat the world has ever faced. We're delighted to be joined today by Shauna Aminat, Minister of the Environment climate change and technology of the Maldives, who is in town for the 14th Petersburg Climate Dialogue. Previously, Shauna served as policy secretary to His Excellency President Ibrahim Mohamed Saleh and as undersecretary at the policy office of the president during the administration of Mohamed Nasheed. She was also responsible for managing the secretariat of the Climate Change Advisory Council, leading the Maldives' effort to realize carbon neutrality and steering the development of the country's Renewable Energy Investment Plan. Shauna was recognized by the World Economic Forum as a young global leader in 2020. And last year, she co-led the Working Group on Climate Adaptation at the UN Climate Conference, COP. Climate change is an immediate existential threat to the coral islands that make up the Maldives, one of the lowest-lying countries in the world. Recent predictions estimate that by 2050, rising sea levels could make 80% of the country uninhabitable. By 2100, so in just 77 years, the entire country could be submerged. None of this is news to the Maldives. Activists and advocates have been warning of the dangers of climate change for decades. Which leaves Shauna with momentous questions. How to get the rest of the world to pay attention and take action? 
and what adaptation and mitigation measures can make the greatest difference. So, Shauna, welcome to Europe Listens, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me here as well. Shauna, I gave a brief sketch just now of the grave impact and implications of climate change for the Maldives. Tell us a little more about where you're at today. What are the most pressing priorities for you as Minister of the Environment? Thank you, and um, it's a great pleasure to be speaking um, to you and um, to an audience um, who are interested to hear about what's happening in the Maldives as well. I think you have uh, described the situation in, in great uh, depth as well. But let me also explain what is happening on the ground, what we are seeing. And uh, for us, climate change is an everyday reality. We are about 1,200 islands, and most of the islands are just about one meter above sea level, which makes us extremely vulnerable to any incremental change of sea level rise as well. We are observing sea level rise of about three to four millimeters per year, and with that, we are already seeing increased changes in our entire environment. Most of our country is the ocean. And when the ocean around us is rising against us, we have, we are seeing increased erosion of our beaches. We are seeing increased bleaching of our coral reefs because the sea is getting hotter as well. We're also seeing changes in our rainfall patterns, which is flooding our islands more than it has ever before. So this, these are the changes that we are seeing. We're living with these realities. Thank you, Shauna, for giving us such an honest assessment of the very precarious situation you are facing. As Raphael also mentioned, last year you co-led the COP Working Group on Climate Adaptation. That is, measures designed to prepare for and adjust to the current and projected impacts of climate change. For listeners who may be new to this forum, can you describe how this kind of COP working group functions? Like you said, I co-facilitated uh, uh, with Minister Teresa Ribeira from Spain on um, adaptation. And as you know, countries like ours, small island nations, one of the most pressing issues for us is to be able to find a solution to uh, adaptation. And for years, Adaptation has been in the back burner for UN uh, FCCC on climate change and on climate negotiations as well. And one of the key outcomes in Glasgow in COP26 was um, to establish a, a, a work program on adaptation, on defining what a global goal on adaptation would look like. For many people, adaptation is something that is very local. That is how countries respond to impacts of climate change should be local. And it makes sense as well. But what the Maldives has been for the past uh, two years advocating on how important it is to have a global goal on adaptation. Because yes, what we do at home in our countries at a local level is important, but it does have global impacts as well. Let me just give you an example, for instance, what happened in Pakistan, the floods, it left over 30 million people homeless. And the cost of the floods 
it's it's so much that we will not we are not able to respond to the scale of this disaster but what happens in pakistan also has impacts on the maldives as well it has impacts on the entire south asia region because they are a producer of food as well and it will have impacts in the region in other countries in terms of um, the cost of um, food so what happens in pakistan does have an although it flooded on the pakistan it does have impacts in in the region so one of the things that we are now the working the work program that was established in glasgow is coming is going to be concluded in cop28 and during these two years what has happened is countries have come together and had technical workshops on how we define adaptation how we define on what measures countries need to take on adaptation and how that has an impact at a global level and there are many ways that we can think about it because there's not a single country who does not need water there's not a single country that does not need uh, health that does not need food so even though germany and the maldives are very different countries in terms of development status both our countries need these three aspects and biodiversity and infrastructure as well so we can agree on a global goal on adaptation so that in in a nutshell this is what we were uh trying to agree on 2 years ago and we've come a long way in defining what adaptation means at a global level as well and could you maybe give us one or two examples of adaptation measures and how they relate to your country specifically for for instance um for us water is a huge issue the out of the 1200 islands we have 187 islands people are inhabited on every single island of these have run out of fresh water because of salt water intrusion due to flooding and due to coastal erosion we have to be able now we are building desalination plants on every island uh for us uh our coral reefs health is part of our adaptation as well when our coral reefs die which is the only source of protection and food and income for us that really completely jeopardizes our entire socio-economic um uh, aspects of our lives so protecting the coral reefs at a global level means reducing uh the temperature at 1.1 degree of warming we are already witnessing degradation of coral reef ecosystems health so for us it's really important that we work together as a as a as a global society to bring down the temperatures and bringing down it to 1.5 means the survival of our nation so what happens here what people do here really has an impact on how we are able to adapt to changes of climate change as well. Shauna, are you actually satisfied with the outcomes and the progress uh, that was made in recent years or is it all too slow and not enough? Absolutely not. While we are speaking, we have just about 79 months to go to reach 2030. And just a couple of weeks ago, we heard from the IPCC that we are way off track on the 1.5 target. For us, every degree, every degree of warming 
is a threat to our survival. So for us, this is an existential crisis, and ob- it's very obvious that in COP28, we are going to have um, the global stock take as well. And I think I don't think anyone's going to be surprised on the outcome of this, what we will know, because we already know that we are off track, way off track on 1.5. We're way off track on uh, providing finance for adaptation. We're way off track on uh, mitigation. Maybe let's dive a little deeper into your impressions and expectations of COP, because there are plenty of people arguing that the UN system is actually highly dysfunctional and is not delivering. Do you think it actually still has a purpose in combating climate change? It makes sense to meet and discuss these things in this format? I believe so. And I know it's increasingly very frustrating as well. It's very frustrating for me as someone from a small island nation. But the only way we will be able to resolve this is having a political agreement on global climate change. And we are closer than we have ever been um, to reaching, uh, to, to forming a UN convention on climate change. And That, to me, is still the way to go about it because we're talking about individual countries. We're talking about, in those countries, individual people's behaviors that affect everyone's lives in these countries as well. So it's difficult to say I understand because it also means that the survival of my country and survival of my home and my friends and my family as well. But... I still think that there is time for us to come together on this and it is increasingly becoming more and more urgent and it is increasingly becoming the most important pressing issue in political discussions as well. And the time is now. I hope that in COP28 that we will agree on even more ambitious targets. In COP27 we managed to agree on loss and damage. And we never thought that we will come to an agreement on loss and damage. On this topic of loss and damage, uh, which has been variously described as a, as a breakthrough for the COP system as well, how do you think um, that should be organized and implemented in your view also to benefit the Maldives? Well, right now there's a lot of discussions going on with the transitional committee that's been established to form views on how what what are the aspects of it. The Maldives is a member of the transitional committee as well, and we have been advocating for what um, a, a fund must look like. And for us, it should be very different from the existing uh, mechanisms that are there. It should be different. For many people, when they think about loss and damage, they think that these are hurricanes and tornadoes. But it's very different for for Maldives because we are a small island nation that is impacted due to the slow onset impacts of climate change. And by that, what I mean is, for instance, we don't have frequent hurricanes. We don't have frequent storms that affect us uh, in one one go. 
the impacts are slow, and so it's like a, a death by a thousand cuts. The death of our coral reefs is the slow onset impacts, and what happens because of that is it kills our bait fisheries, and over time it is impacting our fisheries, and we are a country that is dependent on both tourism and fisheries, and that has an impact on our economies as well. So we have been advocating that this fund should be able to address the the rapid impacts as well as the slow onset, and it should also have a way to be able to address the non-economic losses of climate change as well. I understand that the Maldives has already undertaken a couple of measures to address some of these risks to fortify against sea level rises. Um, how are these interventions funded so far? Well, most of our adaptation funding is coming from our own budget, actually. Most of the climate finance instruments that has been available are not being, they don't go to adaptation finance. And this is why we have been strongly advocating on the urgency and the need to focus finance to flow for adaptation. If you're not able to finance adaptation, that means it's more loss and damage. The reason why we are here today talking about loss and damage is because for years, for decades, we have failed as an international community, as multilateral banks and the IFIs to finance adaptation. We are building desalination plants on our islands from our own funding, from our own government revenue. Most of the coastal protection, most of the flood mitigation that has gone on our islands are coming from our own financing, from our, our own taxpayers, which I think is extremely unfair because we play no role in um, climate change. Our contribution to greenhouse gases is 0.003% and yet we are having to finance our own adaptation, which is taking critical finance from our revenue sources for education, for healthcare, and for development as well. And as you know, we are also an emerging democracy, and it's really important for us to continue to build our institutions and consolidate democracy. But if you're going to have to spend the finance every year on mitigating with the impact of climate change, that's, that I think is very unfair. I'd also be curious to hear, Shauna, how you perceive European nations as actors at COP. Do they present a united front to you? And maybe more importantly, do you see them or the European Union as an institution, as allies for the Maldives, or are they actually part of the problem? Well, we work very closely with the, with the EU and um, especially last year with the loss and damage fund, the EU played a major role in um, for us to be able to reach that breakthrough as well. And I recognize uh, how difficult um, it was for all parties, for developing and the developed world as well, to come to an agreement on loss and damage. But I think... Everyone understands the urgency of it, including the EU, and EU has been a strong bilateral partner for the Maldives as well. EU has continued to support our climate um, mitigation work that we have been um, implementing in the Maldives. And being a small island country, investing in mitigation is also adaptation because we import all of our fuel to meet our energy needs. And 10% of our GDP goes on importing fossil fuels. So if we are able to save finance 
on importing fuel, that means we're able to keep that money for adaptation. And EU has been a strong bilateral partner for us to be able to do that. But clearly we're not where we, we should be. And the G20 together makes up nearly 80% of the greenhouse gas emissions. And um, the European partners have continued to press on the urgency of this, on the need for uh, fossil fuel phase-out as well. And we support that position. And I hope that we will be, we will be able to work together on resolving this issue because it's not only the Maldives that is affected by climate change. We saw how Germany was affected by the floods. Even now, Spain is currently experiencing extreme heat. And even in the Maldives, we have reached record temperatures. In, in the entire South Asia, it's experiencing heat waves. So we're not alone in the, with the impacts of climate change now. Yes, we are a frontline state, but all European countries are experiencing extreme weather. And I think uh, people are beginning to understand that this is increasingly becoming dangerous as well, um, from not just from a climate environmental point of view, but it, your ministers, I'm, I'm here for a meeting on climate with ministers, and your ministers express their concerns on this, and also they recognize the urgency of it from a security angle as well. So then, what do you see as the greatest blind spots in European discussions on climate change? I think the issues of adaptation financing is something that needs to be looked into with more urgency. Unless we're able to increase finance for adaptation, there will be uh, more changes uh, with, with regards to weather extremes and loss and damage finance as well. So I really hope that we will be able to have the support of the EU as well for us to be able to reach an agreement on the global goal on adaptation. And what do you think about other multilateral initiatives? Do you see some scope for smaller collaborations between countries, perhaps particularly in amplifying the voice of those nations like yours on the climate front line? Absolutely. I mean, there are many different uh, ways that we, we will be able to work on this. We know that climate change and the impacts of it and everything is transboundary in nature. And there are discussions in CBD, for instance, Convention on Biodiversity, that affects, that's so interrelated. There are uh, issues related to trade that are so interrelated. And last year we saw, last year was an important year for the oceans, for instance. There were agreements on, for instance, getting rid of the subsidies for fisheries and f that really also has an impact on the health of the oceans. With the countries also have come to agreements on protecting um, the high seas which we didn't even think about coming to an agreement on and people have also come to an agreement on protecting at least 30% of the ocean by 2030. So these are really important discussions in other forums besides the UNFCCC that's taking place. And I think with it's all interconnected. Trade, protection of biodiversity, protection of the high seas, uh, and These are all interrelated when it comes to um, reaching an agreement on climate change. So I do think other multilateral 
uh, agreements and forums are going to converge and people are beginning to feel how urgent it is and we're just 79 months away from 2030 and that's just just about seven years away that sense of urgency though has been present in the maldives for many years back in 2008 i believe former maldives president mohammed nasheed announced plans to purchase new land in india sri lanka and australia to house those forcibly displaced from the maldives by rising sea levels is that still on the agenda that's a very it's a very sensitive topic for us because Yes, we are half a million people, and it might seem that is very few, but relocating an entire population, I mean, that would be the last thing I want to do. I have a two-year-old girl, and the last thing I want to think is that she may not have a home. So it's it's a very emotional issue as well, and we don't want to leave our home. We want to continue to be able to live in the Maldives, And that's why we're pressing for these changes because we cannot imagine the the difficulties, the challenges, the problems that would come up if we're trying to relocate half a million people. It's an overwhelming scenario. On that subject, Shauna, I wonder how you feel about recognizing climate refugees. How might that focus the climate crisis conversation? Absolutely, it is happening. It will continue to happen. It will continue to increase as well. Unless we recognize there will be more conflict and it will become political problems in, in the global north as well. So we have, to, we have to learn to live with this now. Looking ahead now, Shauna, what do you see as the most pressing issues and priorities for COP later this year? I think it is absolutely necessary that we have a focus and and a plan on how we may be able to prevent global temperatures from reaching beyond 1.5. That overshoot is a death sentence for a for a country like the Maldives. So, and maybe last question: um, If you could make basically a, a wish list, um, what do you think are the most urgent and important actions uh, Europe can take to cooperate with the Maldives and other nations bearing the brunt of the climate crisis? What would be your priorities? 1.5, adaptation finance and being able to establish the loss and damage fund, but also being able to mobilize financing that is required not in the billions, but in the trillions. For us to be able to do that, we absolutely need the reform of the multilateral development banks and the international financial institutions, MDBs and the IFIs. You're the shareholders. You have to be able to make a difference in these places. Thank you very much. This was a very concrete checklist for us to look at COP later this year to identify whether there has been progress on these topics. Thank you so much for joining us today, Shauna. Thank you so much, Shauna. Thank you so much for having me. Europe Listens is brought to you by the European Council on Foreign Relations and supported by Stiftung Mercator. Our producer is Eliza Epperley. Project Coordination by Angela Mera. Sound Design and Editing by Benjamin Nash. <laughs>